0: The legal aid technology space has been talking about and thinking about AI. Not everyone, but like as a group, uh, we've been thinking about it and talking about it for many years, um, specifically like algorithms, even kind of separate from AI, but now a part of AI. So we have been thinking about it, but you know, in the last several months, it's kind of, it's gone from theoretical, more theoretical conversations to more practical conversations. I, you know, definitely there's, there is a lot more interest, I think, a lot more curiosity, but there's still many concerns.
1: Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders Council of the Legal Services Corporation. Hello, I'm Molly McTonough. I'm a communications and media professional eager to explore more effective ways to meet the legal needs of underserved populations. And I really enjoy speaking with leaders and innovators in this space. Today, I'm speaking with two guests who are closely tracking emerging technology, including generative AI, and how these new technologies can be used to make legal services more accessible and providers more effective. Jane Ribonanera is a program analyst for technology at the Legal Services Corporation, where she oversees technology initiative grants to improve legal services delivery to low income people throughout the United States and territories. The TIG program supports projects that develop, test, and replicate innovative technologies to increase access to high-quality legal services, the judicial system, and legal information. She is a frequent presenter at national conferences on the use of technology in access to justice and has worked in the civil legal aid space for over 20 years. Angela Tripp is director of the Michigan Legal Help Program, which is responsible for the statewide website for self-represented litigants, michiganlegalhelp.org, and many affiliated self-help centers around the state. Just last year, Michigan Legal Help saw nearly 3 million visits and over 60,000 people used its resources to complete legal forms. And according to her AI-generated bio, Angela's passion for community building extends beyond her work in the public sector. She actively engages with her fellow Michiganders, fostering open dialogue and promoting civil participation. And my favorite part, with her unwavering dedication, compassionate spirit, and strategic vision, she strives to build a brighter future for all Michiganders, ensuring that their voices are heard and their needs are met. Welcome to Talk Justice. Thanks, Molly. <laughs> Thank you. Could not resist that part. <laughs> Uh, as I was prepping for the show, I listened to some past episodes, including one, Jane, that you were involved in maybe at the beginning or mid-pandemic. And it made me wonder in the last three years, what's your been your sense about the overall acceptance by courts and practitioners in particular and litigants about tech-driven solutions in the justice space?
2: Sure. Thanks, Molly. I think at the time we were projecting that There was going to be a a huge shift in acceptance due to the pandemic and kind of leaping forward probably about 15 years, I think we were talking about at the time. And we really have seen that happen. You know, we've we've seen so much more acceptance uh, from the courts for remote, we, we're seeing remote hearings. Legal aid is doing, we're seeing more remote delivery services being put in place. People are using Zoom. Everyone's comfortable with with Zoom and other video technologies uh, for meetings and, and interacting with clients. And, you know, but I do think now that there's been a year or more of, of kind of return to office and in more in-person, um, push for more in-person activity is, you know, it, it varies in terms of what we're going to see moving forward. I think there are some courts and jurisdictions that are continuing to innovate and introduce new technologies. And there's others that may be stepping back a little bit, you know, not allowing as many remote hearings for things as they were. Uh, so, you know, just like with everything, it varies by jurisdiction, but it's, it's been overall a positive in the acceptance and use of tech-driven solutions.
0: I absolutely agree with Jane that it, it does vary by jurisdiction, but I think even in that variance, there's still been greater acceptance, particularly by courts and litigants. I think lawyers are always kind of the slowest to embrace change, but, you know, I, I know courts in Michigan that are, you know, embracing text reminders. And as a state, we're moving forward rapidly now with e-filing and uh, courts want to... Want self-represented litigants to use e-filing as well, and so I think there has been an increase in comfort level with technology. Um, it's I think it's probably always going to vary by jurisdiction somewhat, but the the system as a whole and the the leaders of the court systems I think still are very much moving forward.
1: You threw me on oh, I, with uh, the the two that maybe are least likely to change. I was surprised that litigants more so than courts are least likely. <laughs> I would have thought that, although maybe that's another shift since the pandemic is that courts are more willing um, than they have been in the past to ad- address and use technology. Yeah. With that said, in terms of you know just the last three years, do you feel like that there's been any type of awakening um, about what's possible with tech assistance, uh, especially with the um, release of chat GPT. and I and I partly want to talk about kind of the comfort level with the technology and whether
0: that it spurred additional interest. So from my perspective, the the legal aid technology space has been talking about and thinking about AI, not everyone, but like as a group, uh, we've been thinking about it and talking about it for many years, um, specifically like algorithms even kind of separate from AI, but now a part of AI. So we have been thinking about it but you know in the last several months it's kind of it's gone from theoretical more theoretical conversations to more practical conversations. I you know definitely there's there is a lot more interest, I think, a lot more curiosity, but there's still many concerns. you know the concerns are still great um, primarily around bias and privacy and the risks of, of courts and others, but primarily kind of courts and agencies as decision- making bodies using tools that they don't fully understand, tools that are built by people who may be prioritizing efficiency and speed over due process. And so there is still a lot to learn and think about and, and know like clearly agreed upon paths forward, but it is very much at the forefront of people's minds.
2: Yeah, I, I I totally agree with Angela. It's 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 a train that's moving quickly and over overtaking everyone. I think you know we're we're you're already seeing it built into the technologies that people are using, even if and people may not even be be aware of some of the technologies they're using that do include AI. You know, Microsoft is coming out with with Copilot coming up. Um, you know, a lot of the the tech. The legal technology solutions are building it into their systems. And, you know, as, as Angela says, the, the community, the legal aid community has been talking about it. They've been trying different things with artificial intelligence over the last, you know, ev- you know even five years ago. You know, TIG has funded some projects for... Doing tools like a chat bot that might have natural language processing, which is kind of a form of it, maybe not quite an artificial intelligence, but sort of a a form of it. We've funded a project four years ago in Florida that would, would allow applicants to upload certain documents as part of an online intake system. And then try and use artificial intelligence to to analyze information from those documents to see if they could sort of issue spot what the applicant's legal issues were. But it was just, they found it was just too early for that technology. The technology wasn't there yet. So now everything's moving so quickly with AI going from uh, you know, chat, uh, GPT 3.5 being released in the fall to now e- people using 4, uh, which has been able to pass the bar exam. And what the conversations are moving towards now is you know, what is acceptable use? You know, can people, people are starting to draft acceptable use policies for artificial intelligence because it's, it's coming, you know, people are going to be using it, uh, whether you whether you know it or not, and you need to start um, identifying how to incorporate it, and what are the ways you can safely incorporate it. What are the risks? What are the risks to your clients? But also, how can it be be helpful in the long run?
1: Are you seeing some of those? Just I I can definitely I see this struggle constantly. I you know even in marketing and communications, you know how. You know, what should the rules be? What should be ethical disclosures? You know, all of those things, uh, everybody seems to be grappling with those in in different contexts. Academia also dealing with this quite a bit. Uh, And I'm wondering you know, recent cases where we've seen attorneys citing cases that don't exist. And I mentioned in our prep, but the the case involving the New York judge who, and other judges who are requiring affidavits that AI not be used or that it be disclosed when it's used, which is, seems more, (laughs) seems a more measured approach, I guess. But it's interesting to me when when you mentioned earlier about AI that it's already been in process for for a long time, you know, a lot of these big legal technology companies already have used versions of AI. So do you have to, you know, also cite that you've used some of these legal research tools in addition to, you know, other, other maybe generative AI tools?
2: Yeah. It might be hard for someone to, to be able to do an affidavit if, if they, Don't even necessarily understand that there's AI built into some of the tools that they're using,
1: right? Like there, a lot of these companies are just baking AI and generative AI into their already existing tools.
2: I think the other the other thing to be concerned about is kind of the increased digital divide around these tools. Uh, You're going to see the bigger law firms and those who have the resources to incorporate these tools into the, their systems and their technologies, being able to take advantage of them. And then it's going to be harder for other organizations or people who are trying to help low-income people. to. It's just going to increase that divide uh, between the haves and the
0: have-nots too. I think that's a really good point Jane. I mean, the big firms can purchase the the AI software that is specifically trained on legal information and legal knowledge and and has fewer hallucinations whereas self-represented litigants will be using Bing and not have that same quality and have more, you know, a, a better chance of running into the the fake case problem and it it could do more harm than good in that in that environment. I'm curious about that too. I was thinking more
1: that initial, although frankly, these issues are going to be for every, every group in this space. I hadn't really thought through whether big firms would have an immediate advantage over anyone exploring this space, but in terms of self represented litigants, are you seeing tools being developed in this space?
2: I think it's, it's right now, it's a little bit early. We, we are seeing, I want to go back to some of the chatbots. I think, you know, I mentioned that there's chatbots that have been developed on some of the statewide legal aid websites. Uh, you know, Maine developed a chatbot called Moose. Um, there was a chatbot in, in Colorado that worked with a company called LawDroid to To develop a tool to help guide people to to consumer debt issues, and we're seeing some courts incorporate chatbots and kiosk systems to, to help people. There's a, a system in in Florida. I've seen one in in Maine where they kind of have avatars and chatbots uh, that can that can understand people and uh, help guide them to the information and where they need to go. What do they need to file? And those can be really helpful tools. We, You know, a long time ago, statewide legal aid websites, one of the tools they use that that is still in use in, in some places is live chat. So, you know, you can see starting with a chat bot and then, you know, maybe identifying hey, this person might need to to talk to someone live and shifting them off to a to a, a live interface as well to to help point them and direct them um to the right place and right information on the website.
0: I think another another use of AI in for self-represented litigants is the use that Rentervention is doing, which is um a chat bot that feeds only on the information on the website, which is maybe similar to the other ones that Jane mentioned, but felt a little more robust because it is running on newer technology. So I, I mean, that's something that I'm thinking about doing for Michigan Legal Help to, to make the content more easily findable and understandable um, rather than relying on our layout and uh, you know search engine and navigation uh, to help people find what they need. While we're on that thread, Angela, you've
1: recently been involved in a launch. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you're staying out? You just launched something. (laughs) Is it out of date? Or how how are you
0: (laughs) bringing new technology? It's absolutely out of date. We launched it on May 1st. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one of the things that we did that we were very excited about, you know, eight months ago was we incorporated Spot AI, um, which was one of the Tools that are used by that are used by several uh, legal aid websites um, and developed by Suffolk Law School's Lit Lab to like it's the tiniest bit of AI. Like I was telling someone this morning that I'm kind of embarrassed to even say it at this point, but like it's just the tiniest bit of AI that helps people like identify. Of our top level categories, which is their legal problem likely? Is it a housing issue? Is it a family issue? It's just like not even the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> but so we, we integrated that. And like I said, eight months ago, when we were, you know, building it in, we were like, oh, this is great. And now it's just like so tiny. So we are, we are thinking about how to use it to help people, you know, the people visiting our website. We are also considering use cases internally in terms of what my staff do. And, you know, they, my staff attorneys write all the content for the website and they're absolutely using AI to work on some first drafts and to improve plain language of what they do write. And so, I mean, again, it's in my mind, the best use of of generative AI, which is drafting it, doing a thorough review and edit and, you know, site checking and, and all of that, but um, just helping with the language piece.
1: Yeah, there, there seems to be some, I, I kind of hear these repeats of, yes, use it, make sure you check your facts, make sure you, you know, check your resources, have it reviewed, you know, all of these steps that you're kind of, I'm hearing more and more people are kind of baking in. And I think even if you ask ChatGPT what the steps are for verifying information, these are some of the steps they will, that will be. Return to you, so I think that's that's interesting. But we don't really have a formula for others to follow yet, or do we, Jane?
2: <laughs> uh, not yet. I, I I would agree. It's uh, people are. Finding out how to use it and and discovering new ways, and it, it will be coming. You know, I know we have a, we have a at, in TIG we're reviewing applications. One of one of the proposals is to add artificial intelligence to a commonly used case management system, so that the advocates could use it to. Write a quick case summary, um, you know, or help them post a you know a case for pro bono recruitment, or help them identify legal issues. So you know that's one way I, I can see coming that it could be really helpful. That you know it's it's maybe something integrated into the tools that that advocates are using every day. You know I think I think another way, Angela, you might be able to speak to this as well is is. We have a lot of organizations like yours that help people fill out documents and do court filings. You know, is there a way that you could help them use AI to, to write a better summary of, of uh, their issue, you know, where there is a large text box that they have to fill out, things like that?
0: Yeah, we've, we've been thinking about that too. I mean, the, you know, document assembly in general it's hard for me to comprehend how AI could help with that as long as there are still like required court forms, but that could just be a failing of my imagination. Um, but I, I do think places where people need to write a narrative, um, or, or as you said, a longer answer, it could be, it could be very helpful and, and it may be helpful someday for situations that For which there are no court forms. Um, you know, like some of the, the things that we have never automated at Michigan Legal Help because there are no court forms are like, are still very needed, um, such as an appeal of, uh, denial of food stamps, um, from the agency to the court level. There's just, you know, we've, we've, we've always put that in the category of things that probably are not great for self-represented litigants to do because there are no forms and there is some, you know, some amount of narrative writing and possibly briefing requirements. And I don't know if we could get all the way there, but I think for those types of matters, it could be very helpful.
1: I was just thinking that I've been playing around with the Grammarly has gone gone ahead and, and added in Generative AI tools into its system, and if you're a subscriber, you are. It's already baked in. And one of the things that r- reminds me that would be interesting in these situations, especially for self-represented litigants or filling out forms, is they have a. There's now an option to identify gaps in what you've done. So when you're talking about narrative or filling out the necessary information, you know it will tell you that you know you may need to provide this this or this and it will ask you a series of questions so similar to a uh, chatbot with prompts i could see that as being helpful in filling out forms or even you know following next steps
2: yeah absolutely the um kind of doing it, the next steps is so important because there's so much of there's such an overwhelming demand for for uh, legal assistance and you know there's only so many cases that legal aid organizations can take. And, and a lot of times they can give brief advice uh, and, you know, ser- advice and brief services to that client, but you don't know, like, can they follow through on that advice and how do you help them identify, here's the next step you have to take. If, if it's, you know, a, a five or six step process, they can maybe do the first or second steps, but need reminders. Um, I know that's something Angela's been working on in Michigan with uh, with text message follow ups to to people.
0: Yeah, I think it would be really great to see how we could enhance the the What's Next text system because right now it's it's not there's no AI at all. It's a heavily designed and mapped out uh, logic tree to help to give those behavioral nudges and reminders to people. But I think we could we could do a lot more if we integrated AI with it, and it would be a lot easier for people to use, much more flexible.
1: It's it's interesting that you know even though you you feel like you're you're already out of date with the AI tool you have it's a tool that will be informative right as you're developing the next step so I it seems like the gradual approach may be a good one in this space instead of just unleashing an entire new <laughs> uh, I, I, it just seems like this will help you create or direct the tools to better serve. At, at your next update, which is coming
0: when? Like in a month? No. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I I, I love that characterization. I think I'm gonna absolutely adopt that. Yes. We're we're, we're taking it slowly <laughs> on purpose. On purpose. Totally.
1: Um <laughs> baby steps. So that, that makes me <laughs> ask are you are you getting a lot of requests? I and and how do you manage the pressure to adopt the new technology that's not really tested in the space and this kind of brings me to that question of discerning what's possible and what's realistic and what the end and the hype around a new technology
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And the, the, you know, we, we are fortunate at the Legal Services Corporation to have the Technology Initiative Grant Program. We get an annual appropriation of, of about, uh, four and a half, five million dollars a year from our overall appropriation. To, to test some of these technologies, to do discre- discrete projects um, with our legal aid uh, organizations that deliver direct services. And the program has always wanted to try and push the envelope and, and we're willing to say, hey, let's try something. We understand not everything is going to be a success, but we try and identify what are the types of projects that can be best uh, replicated and used across, you know, the entire gamut of, of legal aid organizations. And, you know, some things are more successful than others, but. It's almost like a a sandbox for, for legal aid organizations to be able uh, to do these things, to create a community, to share that information with each other about what works and what doesn't work. And, um, that's been one of the great things about the program is when one project learns something, they'll, they're, you know, people are ready and willing to share it with their colleagues so that People. The next. The next person trying something down the road uh, can just improve upon it and and learn from from prior effort efforts.
0: I would say that from the viewpoint of Michigan Legal Help, um, we kind of. I, I kind of see us having two roles, and one is you know how can we incorporate this into the work that we do to um, improve access for self-represented litigants, but I also feel a big responsibility responsibility to be involved in or at the very least aware of what courts and agencies um, around the state are doing, um, because what they're doing will impact the people that we're trying to help self-represented litigants and and legal aid clients. And so I'm kind of torn between those two, right? We've got to keep our eye on both of those balls. While also still providing our underlying service, which is you know constantly being changed and updated, uh, just what we have on Michigan legal help already. And so I think uh, I do get I, I feel some pressure to move forward, but I think people are also used to the the kind of slower, deliberate pace that we use. but and the more pressing need is kind of what what courts and agencies are doing and and keeping an eye on that being involved. This makes me wonder
1: kind of what some of your concerns or reservations are as this technology, as especially generative AI technologies are rolled out and being used so widely, if you have concerns.
0: I do think it is, it is, I I mentioned it before, but it's courts and agencies using tools that they don't fully understand or haven't thoroughly vetted. And, And a lot of these You know, a lot of what courts and agencies, unfortunately, are driven by is speed and efficiency. Um, And as AI tools will absolutely do those two things, the underlying bias and discrimination and lack of human oversight will mean that terrible things happen for the people involved in these cases. I worry that people will trust the AI too much, um, put too much faith in it, and skip those important verification, evaluation, assessment steps. And I guess I worry that the AI technologies will be deployed without people knowing how to use them responsibly, particularly people, you know, the public or really anyone, or how to verify or validate the outputs or understand what information has been used to teach an engine an AI engine or what elements were used in the algorithm. And I'll just say, you know, in Michigan, we're still feeling the reverberations from the the automated fraud determinations that were issued by the unemployment agency many years ago. Uh, again, a you know, an algorithm that found fraud everywhere and, and was let to adjudicate that and without any human oversight and just caused widespread damage to people who had relied on unemployment benefits in the past and so that's always front and center when thinking about the risks of AI because it, it's you know that was more algorithm than AI but the problem was the lack of human counterparts and and checks right and it can I could see
1: you know not going total doomsday here but you know when we're talking about equity issues and who can afford to do what you know who can develop technologies that target target vulnerable populations and create issues that previously didn't exist or didn't exist on a on a scale and i can see this in in lots of different areas targeting vulnerable populations in particular that's my doomsday mm-hmm. still don't think the robot overlords are, are going to completely rule but i do think that there are some cautions there that that we should be paying attention to
2: absolutely
1: uh, so, Jane, did did you have any additional concerns, or are you are you seeing some of solutions being addressed or being developed, not addressed? And I'm thinking more in the area of guides or standards.
2: Yeah, that's it, and it's early. I think the uh, I saw recently the American Bar Association is starting to to look at some standards around um, some of these new tools and artificial intelligence you know, whether there will be any regulation around them, who's Who's to say. Even for organizations to just like they have cybersecurity policies and acceptable use policies for technology, they need to update those and and address them for acceptable use policies for artificial intelligence. So that everyone understands you know what these are the risks and what can you do what shouldn't you do uh, how can it be helpful i think what angela said earlier the ability to to make content more plain language uh, is is a great use of, of current uh, ai and things like chat gpt but it, legal research probably not there yet but it's being built into uh, things, you know. We we were, I was at a conference a couple months ago. We were talking about you know what what other tools could be built, and really starting to think about who can we bring together to to try and try some things and build some things around. Um, for instance, we have this. Uh, we have statewide websites like Michigan Legal Help all over the country that have good, reliable information for people. Um, could we train a large language model on that content and deliver it to people using that type of reliable information that could be helpful and, and know that this is a correct resource uh, for them to have? Those are sort of the, the things I'd like to see. While well, I'm cautious about it, I'm also optimistic about the possibilities coming coming soon.
1: Yeah, that's a good good point too, because you know that's a really focused use of data sets like this and using language models within kind of a fenced area. So you know you're not bringing in or halluc- I, I still think you know. There's still the potential of hallucinating, depending on how sites and cases or scenarios. But I, I don't know if that's as big of a concern if you can really have control over which data is being used to feed the models. Right. You addressed a little bit of my last question, which is the the wish list. I, I guess in addition to what's on your generative AI wish list, uh,
2: what's your wish list for next steps? What we've, we've talked about and alluded to so far it, are things like having the resources available and equity across uh, different populations. Um, I, I'd really, you know, the, the large corporations, the, the large law firms have those resources. They're already building those in. I'd like to see some other. Funders who could maybe collaborate with the Legal services corporation to to identify how can we find the resources so that there is equitable distribution and and use of these technologies moving forward. That would kind of be on my on my wish list. How about you, Angela?
0: I think generally my wish list would include, you know, general widespread education and guidelines for use. We kind of touched on that a little bit more a demand for more transparency in algorithms and, and what data um, is being used in algorithms. I do think some like governmental scale regulation would probably be good. <laughs> and <laughs> I was going to ask uh, about the,
1: who the watchdogs <laughs> would be. Who, you know, who are the watchdogs? Is it going to, is it the government who probably not some of the regulation maybe, but who's going to be, you yeah. know, police, not policing, but, you know, checking the data, checking the results.
0: I think the LSC TIG team should do that. I vote for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also love to see just uh like really thoughtful engagement Thoughtful building and use of tools by courts and agencies and, and, you know, for them to anytime that they're going to be using some sort of AI based tool, particularly around decision making that, that those, you know, the groups doing that building in- include, you know, stakeholders from every aspect, not just the government side, but the litigant side as well. Um, like an agent with agency decisions or, but, but that they just not. Do it in their own corner, but gather, like solicit, gather and use input from advocates, legal aid folks, end users to just make it a more fair system and to, to highlight issues of, of bias coming in the system that they might not see or identify. To do that on the front end rather than waiting, you know, to do something terrible and get sued. Like, let's build it right on the front end.
1: That sounds great. I'm uh, always a fan of building it right the first time, or at least being flexible to to shift as you're building. I think this was a really good conversation. I also just want to say that I think this is an exciting period of time, even with a lot of concern. You know, I'm we're I, we're seeing so much, so many great ideas. I bet brainstorming sessions are pretty amazing right now, Jane.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think, um, we have, we have an annual innovations and technology conference that we do every January and we've just put out our request for uh, proposals and, and ideas for workshops and sessions so i'll be really interested to see what people are thinking about and what comes in and what kinds of conversations we can we can have you know it's and it, one of the challenges too is that's you know 6 7 months from now you're looking at proposals what's what's the technology going to be in 7 months i mean you know, it's it's changing so quickly. I think you have to you have to put yourself in a, a position to accept change easily and to be really flexible about the ideas and, and projects that you're working on.
0: I'll submit a proposal, Jane, that just says placeholder AI, January 2024. <laughs> 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 that sounds like a plan.
1: Thank you, Jane and Angela, for joining us today. And thank you, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talk Justice. If you like what you've heard, please take a moment to rate us and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts can be found so you won't miss an episode. Until next time. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.